Hey, well, good morning, Chief. How are you? I'm good, sir. Good morning. Ah, good, good. Hey, so um, I know that my goose view, this is all part of the goose view vision that I've had. And so um, thinking through how I was going to implement goose view, and I know that for one of the recordings during the month, I want to go live and I want to kind of be um, more of the present information right there um, and bring in some guests and do that kind of thing. And then the other one I've always thought about maybe us doing something that's a little bit more serious, something that's a little bit more heavy. Yes, sir. Um, and so this is kind of our take, you know, our first take at that. So um, I just wanted to, to move into that. And I think our first topic that we get to talk about is a pretty heavy topic. Yes, sir. Um, it's talking about race um, within our service, within the Department of Defense. It's talking about it within our country. Um, and in large part, based on the events that happened up in Minneapolis, yes, right? Um, with the uh, very untimely death of Mr. George Floyd, which sparked um, an incredible amount of emotion that has permeated across our country and, and really back into our services. Um, and so I think this is a, it's a good opportunity for us to just kind of be frank and just talk through how we feel about that, you know, and how we want to link that back into the service and how we as leaders would like to communicate down to our lowest level airmen, soldiers, sailors, and Marines, what we think of it, yes, right? Sir. So, um, so I don't know what, how, what do you think? What do you think of this? Well, I think it's time for us as leadership teams definitely have the conversation. Um, and just like you said, our teammates across the installation, hopefully it influences them and we are an example. Um, and they're starting to already have the conversations in their unit and they see the environment that we're creating for ourselves to start this conversation and hopefully to allow them to do the same thing. Yeah. So it's an important conversation that we have to have and we need to continue to have. And I think the more that we do this and get out front for the installation, the more it'll happen across the installation for our right. teammates. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, and I know it's being pushed hard at all levels, um, in particular within DOD, um, and I would like to think that the interagencies are doing something very similar so that, you know, as we work through this, um, it really becomes more enduring than just, you know, a very small, small window. And so that's, I think that's, that's our intent with this. So, um, so I think, I think what we have to start though, is really from the beginning, like uh, it, these are all perceptions that we all have as people, as individuals. And so I'd like to ask you, like, where are you from and how did you grow up to set the baseline for your perception of this particular issue? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It does. So I'm from Long Beach, California. Um, I grew up in um, Long Beach starting out at a very young age. We moved uh, to San Pedro, California. So I started elementary school um, there uh, probably about the second grade. Um, and my family stayed there all the way up until the time I graduated high school. And so predominantly I grew up in a um, white school system. Mm -hmm. uh, we had individuals bust in in my junior high and my high school um, from LA County that were bust in to come to our school to be a desegregated school. Um, so my experience has been majority going to a predominantly white school mm -hmm. um, and then having other minorities bust into the school uh, to make it a desegregated school. 
so I've had my experiences growing up yeah. um, in that environment um, based on me being who I am and those individuals being bussed into the school, yeah. um, feeling out of place um, and having to deal with some issues there. But I think overall, um, I was able to get through it and learn from it. Yeah. Did you, did you have like negative experiences with that? I think throughout high school, I definitely did. As people got older, you know, they kind of test the waters to kind of see where you're at and what you're going to allow them to do and what you're going to deal with. Yeah. Um, So just tensions, you know, in the classroom, um, tensions on the field. You know, I was a track. I ran track. um, I was on the drill team. Just different environments. But really, kids are being kids. Right. And they're going to test you and you're going to. Um, only deal with what you allow them to do. Yeah. Right. So absolutely, I've had some of those experiences. Was it hard for you to make friends with some people that you felt like maybe you wanted to make friends with, but that just kind of like because of that the wall, there was a wall there. No, I don't think necessarily. I think the individuals that I I was friends with, and the there weren't individuals that I wanted to be friends with. Of course, I was curious about certain things. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that being a part of the extracurricular activities made a difference, mm-hmm. right? Because it was something that you had in common, um, that you that came first before anything else, right? You participating on the track team or you participating on the drill team. It's an environment of a team and collectively as a team, you yeah. have to work at this goal together. Right. So everything else was by the wayside. So yeah. I think that made a difference um, in the friendships that I was able to establish, but I didn't necessarily want to be friends with someone else that I didn't have the opportunity to because of the extracurricular activities that I was involved in. Yeah, that's a great point, the teaming piece. I'm mm-hmm. gonna, Remind me to come back to that when, when we talk a little bit about how we grew up maybe in the military uh, on that. I mean, I think we talked a little bit about it before. I'm, my demographic, Mike Zulsdorf, I'm, I'm, a, I'm just a kid from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And where I grew up, um, having a black person in the neighborhood was a complete anomaly. I'll bet you 99.9% of who I grew up with looked like Mike Zulsdorf. And um, I just, I just didn't realize, you know, growing up in that sheltered environment, I didn't realize I was oblivious to kind of the things that were going on maybe in society writ large in the seventies when I grew up. My, my take on it growing up was, you know, affirmative action had come out in, I think, 1961 is when they first started the legislation. I appreciate our country for recognizing it as an issue. The government itself does a pretty good job of trying to help out. But I don't, you know, I grew up where affirmative action was not quite the right answer. It was an attempt to get to the right answer, but it was not the right answer. And so the perceptions that I was I was under based on listening to, you know, um, family members talk about affirmative action, um, that it was not quite right, um, you know, uh, yet. And so it shaped my perception at that young age. So going through grade school and high school, I distinctly remember thinking that I would never that I would never have a friend who was black, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I can remember the time when I realized that black kids were the same as white kids when I actually got on the football field as a senior and I tackled a black kid and I visibly heard the oomph 
you know? Mm -hmm. And I realized at that point, they're just like me, you know? And I helped, I helped him up. And that kind of planted a seed in me that I had never experienced before. Um, and then I joined the service. Mm -hmm. And going through basic training, we're all in the bays together. And I made it a point to try and better understand the different races that were in my barracks because I just hadn't grown up like that. I was curious. Um, and so I just wanted to learn. I wanted to learn as much as I could about all of these different people. And, and then recognizing, like you had said about, hey, we're all one team and we're all going after the same objective. We all want to graduate from basic training, right? And so I think, I think that's really what planted the seeds in me about um, how important diversity is and, and how we just are one moving forward with the goals of Big Blue. Um, I don't know if that makes sense or not. but It does, and I think you articulated it very well, right? That experience, I think, made a difference for you, right? Yes. And it probably transitioned your perspective as you came into the military service. You were able to get your own experiences and perception of That's race, right. right? That's oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I just, um, you know, and I, I guess because of that, um, I guess I had a hard time really accepting that we still have a problem even in our service, mm -hmm. you know, because I, I just didn't look at people as individuals. I looked at them as members of one. We were all unified um, under the umbrella of the Air Force, whether that was me working as an airman in um, yeah, Tinker Air Force Base where we were trying to get the job done in the career field that I was in. Um, or on the basketball team, working towards a goal of beating the other team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was just all, it, I just didn't see it. I didn't feel it. I felt like Mike Zulsdorf was relating to, it didn't matter who, I just felt like that. And so I guess again, even in my military service, I was a little bit oblivious to what might be still happening mm -hmm. amongst our populations even today. Yes. So can you, can you talk a little bit about what you see and feel from our airmen today as we get out and talk, you know, about that? Well, I think it for one, I want to go back to a point that you made that um, we have to acknowledge one that there's a problem. Right. And I think we have to understand you have to understand that you are part of the minority minority. Right. Yeah. A white man. So you're not going to see certain things that, you know, it just know, won't people, bubble to my level. Absolutely not. People yeah. in the club are experiencing. And I, I think that as we have these type of conversations, um, we definitely need to go out and talk to our teammates about their experiences and get the direct feedback from them on, you know, what they're going through, what their experiences and see where we can influence, you know, some change or some more conversations amongst the leadership team to make sure those things are dealt with head on. Right. Um, but it's getting out and about. Um, and having those conversations with our teammates, but I love that you acknowledge, right? Because I think that's part of the yeah, issue. Yeah, I think it's a blind spot for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. It's a blind spot. Um, but if I'm still blind to some of the issues that we're having at the lowest level, then you're absolutely right. I need to take the blinders off and, mm -hmm. and maybe even push a little harder to get out there and better understand. To see it, absolutely. And to see it and yes, feel sir. it. And, yes, and, you know, so, yeah. Um. What are what are thoughts do you have on this topic? We talked a lot about this, you know, the other day. We did. So I think early in my career, um, 
you know, I try to relate back to my own experiences um, to relate to what I think some of our teammates are experiencing without having that direct dialogue with them, right? Uh, because I am a female and I am I am a black I am black. Mm-hmm. Um, so early in my career, you know, I've had some experiences, um, you know, some jokes, you know, um, people perceiving me for who I am um, and treating me a certain way. And I think over time, I just became numb to the issue, right? Um, to where I just ignored certain things and I just continued continue to press on. Yeah. But as I've gotten older and I've gotten mature, I think I've navigated things much better. And I think some things I've been able to just deal with on my own heads on. You know, I've had some great supervisors along the way to where I felt that I've had that good relationship, a relationship where I trusted them to take action on some things that I think I was dealing with at the time that I needed help with. Mm -hmm. But I will tell you, most of the time throughout my career and even having other teammates come to me with the issues that they're having, you know, it's been hard and challenging to press the issue forward and get something done about it because at some point you either someone doesn't understand it they don't want to acknowledge it or accept right. it there's denial you don't necessarily believe that is happening um you expect things to get taken care of at the lower levels you know you you, you hit a break breaking point when you go cert, you know up the chain of command and things are not done as you anticipate them being done right and so you're deflated at that point you right. lose you lose hope and you lose trust in the process um you start to lose trust in the, the their leadership team um, and then you, you don't want to be part of the team. So you feel like you're on the outside, yeah. you know. So I always go back and relate to some of my experiences and some of the conversations um, that I've had with my teammates and some of the teammates that have come to me, you know, to vent or to get some guidance to or what should, what some guidance from or what should I do in this particular situation. Yeah. That's a great story because um, I was going to ask you emotionally, I'm sure you were angry. You went through a lot of different stages of that anger, I'm sure, at some point. And sounds like how you dealt with it was to reach out and get that support network um, and to help you, to help you through that. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned emotion. You know, for me, there hasn't been, I won't say I get angry, right? I think I get frustrated frustrated turns into yeah. pain yeah. it turns into anxiety it t- it's, it's turned into i wouldn't necessarily ever been fear- fearful of anything yeah. um but it's but you more, feel ostracized maybe you know absolutely yeah. sometimes you do but mine has been more pain that emotional side of yes. it right and then the anxiety piece kicks in and then sometimes it, it becomes psychological right yeah. it for me it's motivated me right right i've never went the other way to where i'm woe is me or i get depressed or i'm hopeless i've never done that i've always been a hard charger it has motivated me because i've i've always thought for myself um and I, I will share this with you. You know, I talk to my boys all the time. And uh, if you ever ask my children to describe their mom, you know, one thing they're going to say is she's hardworking. Yeah. And I think a lot of my work ethic and me being a hard worker comes from me not always feeling that I always had an equal opportunities as other people. Right. So it's always motivated me and pushed me to work harder because I know I'm capable of doing anything that anybody else is, is able to do, mm-hmm. right? And so my children see that, right? So one, we teach them to be servant leaders, and then two, we teach them to work hard, That's right. right? Because they should never feel that they can't get where somebody else is at because of the color of their skin. That's right. Um, if they deserve it, they should get it. Now, has it worked out for me every time? Absolutely not. But it has not stopped me from being motivated to get mm-hmm. to where I want to be. Yeah, wow. 
that's pretty good. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure your sons, I know you're very proud of your sons. Yes. And I know that they've taken that, that to heart. Um, and extrapolating that even to our airmen, I know that we need to continue to mentor our airmen in the exact same vein, yes. right? Um, and, and really it's beyond, it's beyond black. It's, it's just, it goes into the diversity conversations, which we can save for another time, but mm-hmm. it really does bleed into the entire diversity, um, you know, that we have in our air force and how we can encourage everyone to do exactly what you're just saying, you know? Um, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, it's taking even a step back farther and thinking through how this all started, mm-hmm. you know, um, even walking in here, we talked a little bit about it, which I hadn't put brain cells on until, you know, just now, but the situation happens. Um, very, very unfortunate. Um, you know, people have their opinions on what to call that death, um, you know, until the, the courts process through that, we'll, we'll let the courts process through that. That particular death drove something at a higher order than what we'd seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, well, let me just, then what maybe I've seen and we've seen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't around in the 60s when a lot of stuff was happening in the 60s, but in, in this particular time frame, um, right now, it drove something. Um, and drove something nationally, and some of our senior leaders took the opportunity to get it into not only the Air Force, but into DOD. And so I feel personally what, what Chief Wright did, mm-hmm. um, taking the lead and writing his article and moving forward to drive these conversations. And then what um, General Goldfein did as the chief to have these conversations was vitally important to the momentum that had started, you know. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I, I mean, I guess I just, I feel very strongly about that. I feel like like we had two individuals who were in a leadership position, a senior leadership position, who took the opportunity on behalf of the Department of Defense and just drove it, drove it for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I agree with Chief Wright's, you know, comment. He felt he had a responsibility to get out there and say something, mm-hmm. and he was spot on, absolutely right. And as he's mentioned in his comments, you know, some of it was well-received, and he was ready for what wasn't well-received, and he took that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was necessary for him to do, absolutely. And yes. I applaud him for starting the conversations. Um, there are a lot of bold conversations that need to happen, and I hope that our teammates will get out and feel comfortable and feel respected and have a trusting environment to be able to have the conversations. That's right. You know? Yeah, and it needs to be continued enduring. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, I had the opportunity last week to sit in the Wing Commanders course, uh, the Wing Commander training course, um, where uh, you know we get a mentor, Lieutenant General Slife, who's the AFSOC commander. But we we have a speaker list that comes in, and we actually got we actually got two and a half hours with General Brown, mm-hmm. uh, the chief of staff of the Air Force, number twenty-two, and uh, him and his wife came in, told their story, which was an amazing story. I wish I could have bottled that up and shared with everyone but they just they really are are two amazing individuals who are in leadership positions now for our air force but the follow-on uh one-on-one with general brown was equally amazing and a section of that talked about this very topic um and he talked about how important it is that hey the air force 
has been going through these types of issues since our inception in 1947. We've yes. been dealing with it for many, many decades, and, and we're going to continue to deal with it for many, many more decades. Yes, this, these conversations, therefore, need to be enduring, and in order for us to get to the point where we're, we truly are all-inclusive, you just need to continue to have the conversations, and you need to, you need to know that the senior leaders are all engaged and they recognize it and that we are going to continue to we're going to continue the dialogue yes, and sir. we're going to work to break these walls down i would argue i would argue that you know compared to society we do a pretty good job of that already simply because our missions are so focused on an objective yes sir but you know as he identified you know we've got work to do yet and we will continue to do all of that great work um, in our Air Force under his leadership yes. and under Chief Bass's leadership. Yes, and as you said, you know, um, in his comments, 73 years later, and here we are, yes. the first black, you know, uh, chief, uh, chief of staff. Way too long. Right, absolutely, agree. <laughs> and you know, when we talk about um, diversity and inclusion, just over the last few years, you know, I think we've seen so much change across the Air Force. I mean, we've had a lot of wins here um, in the last few years, especially as recently as our uh, dress and appearance standards, the changes there. Yes. You know, sometimes we perceive things that are affecting the minority as small or maybe insignificant, and we don't give it enough attention. But I would tell you those small changes, as some may perceive them to be, um, are significant changes to those individuals. And mm -hmm. I, I will tell you um, a lot of wins have come out of some of the recent dress and appearance changes that I think years to come the Air Force is going to continue to benefit for, from. And we need to continue to look at those opportunities for, um, for those minorities across our service um, to make sure we're listening and hearing their voice for the things that matter to them, right? right. Our teammates to make sure everybody's um, inclusive in the decision that we make that infects the total force. Right. Yes, sir. Sir, what do you feel your responsibility is as a white colonel in this conversation? That's a great question. Um, I think in the position that I'm in as a senior leader, white colonel, it is my job to lead us through some of these conversations and to take on this tough challenge that we have. Um, and I, I hope that when people see me as a vulnerable white man trying to address this, that they will take it serious and that we can continue this very important dialogue um, as, as we move forward. Yes, sir. I, I agree with that. I think you being vulnerable, you being out and about, having the conversation is going to influence our command teams across this installation. It's going to empower them to yeah. then go forward and feel comfortable enough to be bold and be vulnerable and having the conversations with our teammates. And I think that influence that you have over them um, will then help us have this conversation down to the lowest level across the installation. I mean, I'll be honest with you. This is making me feel like I'm walking on a bog. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm walking on squishy, you know, and, and that it is, uh, it's uncharted territory for Absolutely. me. Um, and it's a little scary. Mm -hmm. I'll be, I'll be completely honest. It's scary. I mean, I'm pretty used to seeing myself in the mirror and kind of knowing uh, what my demographic thinks it's going to be scary 
but I look forward to the opportunity. I look forward to hearing from everyone. Um, I look forward to, frankly, being able to maybe leave a little bit of our own legacy on this and our own DNA into this culture change that will then, as Chief Brown said, carry on for for many, many more decades, right? We have an opportunity today, you and me. Yes, sir. And a lot of my a lot of my demographic, we have an opportunity to lead our Air Force through this change. And that's kind of exciting. It is. No matter how scary it is, um, it's kind of exciting. So how do you feel as a wing we should be rolling out with this? What should what should our what should we expect from our senior NCOs and NCOs and CGOs moving forward? I think exactly what we've heard we've heard from um, our last leadership team, right? Um, create the environment to have the conversation. Be willing to engage in the conversation with our teammates, right? Um, be vulnerable in the situation. Yeah. Allow yourself to be vulnerable in the situation. Allow your teammates to be vulnerable in the in the in the uh, environment and be able to speak their mind, right? Yes, some feelings may get hurt. Yes, there may be high emotions running in, but we need somebody to champion that effort to make sure that the environment is right and that they're going to want to come back and have the conversation right. again yeah. and expand that group that you're having the conversation with, right? So this is going to take a lot of leadership. It is. And I'm looking forward to our NCOs, our senior NCOs, our first sergeants, our command teams stepping up mm -hmm. to make sure that it happens. Yeah. And then not that it just happens one time, but like you said earlier, it happens on a reoccurring basis. Yes. Right. Just like we're going to do. This is one of many conversations that we're going to have as a leadership team moving forward. Yes. Um, and so we expect the same thing from our teammates across the installation, but especially our leadership to jump in there, to be vulnerable, to be bold, to take action on these type of conversations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's all the way down. And, you know, I think about the NCOs being the backbone of our Air Force. And on that backbone, we'll ride this culture change. Yes, sir. And, and those individuals setting the conditions, as you just alluded to, setting the environment, um, reinforcing uh, the conversations and providing them the safety nets that you alluded to earlier is, is so critical uh, for these continued conversations. And so, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And we need to then continue the conversation like you said and, and I want to open this aperture as I alluded to earlier with more diversity you know it's everyone it's everyone that is part of this team that we call the Air Force this team that we call the Department of Defense yes, sir. that um, that we can still be the world's greatest military force that provides our country the freedoms that it needs to be able to continue to thrive it takes a team of everyone and we all come from so many different backgrounds. You know, in the middle of Wisconsin in a bunch of dairy farms, inner city, you know, we're all in this together. Yes, sir. Um, and so it's, it's uh, yeah, this great experiment that we call America is built on that backbone of all of us, you know. Couldn't agree with you more, you know, and I will say, you know, when it comes to our installation here and our teammates and having this conversation. I love how our command team is set up, right? 
you, me, and Colonel Robbie, right? We are very diverse. Yes. And I think it's important for our teammates to be able to see that because they can't. They need to be able to see who they want to be, but they got to see people like them That's in right. that position, right? And we are a prime example of that, our command team. And so I can't thank you enough, you know, for the opportunity to have this conversation with you, one, and two, the opportunity to serve in this position alongside with you to be one to champion this effort um, moving forward to have this type of conversation. Yeah, it means a lot. I'm glad you brought that up because that was a purpose, purposeful decision um, with, frankly, people who are more than qualified for the job, right? Um, and yes, this is, this is exactly what you just described. This is all of us, it, and it's right off on the front. Um, and so uh, the next two years that we get to serve together, I very much look forward to. Um, I very much look forward to learning from you about your experiences that you've had and how they tie into making us as a wing better. Yes, sir. Um, same with Colonel Robbie. Mm -hmm. uh, fantastic leader, a fantastic individual. Um, and I feel like between you know us and the great command teams that we're building within the respective groups and the squadrons that we have in this 11th wing and then all the people that are coming in that we will be able to do some amazing things here uh at joint base anacostia bowling and in the 11th wing yes, um as we as we move forward as the chief zone you know so i uh i i can promise you we will continue to work for this change, um, and we will continue to encourage our airmen to jump on board for this call of action yes, sir. that we have right now today, and we're going to have continued communications about these topics. So uh, I think this is, this is great for us to get started, um, and then what I'd like to do in the future is you know, we'll continue to narrow it down, and I would like to bring in some airmen, yes, right? Sir. And we can talk through this with an airman. Uh, or with an NCO, or with a senior NCO, or with a CGO. It doesn't have to all be at all of us in the same room, but we can bring these people in and talk through these these tough discussions and get their perspectives. You know, that's that's opening the door and opening the aperture of what we talked about. So, yes. thanks again, thanks again for your time. Uh, thanks for all you do, um, and thanks for being my wingman as we as we roll through this wingwoman as we as we roll through this uh these challenging times and so. thank you sir i appreciate it thank yeah. you for being my wingman too yeah <laughs> all right